Thank you for joining me once again for these short yet hopefully interesting episodes on my album with the major sevenths entitled The Lookout. If you're already here listening, then I don't really need to tell you what's up. We are eight tracks in and this track is called Call Me. This is an older song. Can you tell by the title? I feel like phone conversations are really a thing of the past or maybe they've, you know, they've just been replaced by by voice notes. Um, but there's still something beautiful about the, the feeling of hearing someone's voice live at the end of a line. Every voice is different. And, the, and then the way that they talk to you in particular is, again, a unique thing that only you will experience in that moment. But this is a melancholy song. I wasn't in the best of headspaces and was involved in what turned out to be a really unhealthy and toxic relationship. Although at the time of writing, I I hadn't quite come to that realisation fully yet. Or maybe I felt it, but I didn't know it. I was listening to a lot of Sade at the time. She has this quality. Marvin Gaye has it too. This pure, beautiful vocal with so much pain and suffering underneath the surface, you know, without even trying, but it comes through. Songs like Somebody Already Broke My Heart really showcase that mood. wanted to inject a bit of that Shade mood into the verses. So that means minimal enough production in, in terms of rhythm section. Just Johnny on keys, Graham on bass and Dennis on drums and light percussion. And a simple, soft vocal melody that left lots of space in between the phrases. I was down You pick me up when you're around But you're not around For the chorus, looking back now, I had two very distinct influences, although I didn't really notice it at the time. It's funny with the passing of time that you end up looking back and recognising all the influences that went into a song. Um, And it seems clear now. The first line of the chorus, anyway, I was listening to a lot of James Blake. There's a really nice melisma that he likes to do, and it shows up all over his first album. Kind of like that. My brother and my sister And I'd also come across a mixtape put together by Eric Abadu, which features a song by Mamuna Youssef. And the song is called You Don't Have to Be a Star, which samples a 1970s tune of the same name. That one was by by Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis of The Fifth Dimension. Yet if I hit 
hit too quick, then I might not call back. I think the rhythm of that line from Maimuna Youssef, plus the melisma from James Blake, kind of found its way into my line for If You Wanna, You Can Call Me. If you wanna, you can call me. And I added harmonies in the chorus to give it a lift and to emphasize the chords changing. It gets a bit more hopeful, more joyous, I suppose, now that I can hear her voice, you know, doesn't matter what you say. And if you wanna, you can call me. I've been waiting to hear your voice. Doesn't matter what you say. You can't tell me about your day. The feeling that she could be saying anything on the other line, like reading a shopping list, and it would still make me feel better. The trumpet solo brings it back to the melancholy vibe. I wrote out a part for Bill Blackmore, just like Mason, who plays sax on a lot of the other tunes. Bill did everything in the one day, the one afternoon even. This song, including all of the harmonies and three more songs on the album in a couple of hours. It was a one take stuff like he was just such a pro. I remember the vibe was great. We were listening to Prince on the way over in the car, which is always a good start. I thought I'd start out with my thoughts on uh, on Call Me. So I've no a very little actual memory of recording this song, but but that's not surprising really, I guess, considering the speed that we had to plow through the tracks uh, due to the time constraints that we had for various reasons uh, that I also have very little memory of. Uh, we'd had to settle on a day to record where we only had two hours to get through all of the trumpet tracks. This was a case of literally listening once through the track and then having a quick look at whatever written material that Danny um, had come up with and then just like jumping straight in. And then as soon as we felt we had things done on that track, we would immediately move on to the next track. So there was very little time. I don't think we even kind of really listened back to what we'd done. It was just literally, it was a matter of getting through everything as quickly as we could just to get it all done. And amazingly, I think we actually finished with uh, with a little time to spare. Yeah. So we got to have a little chat afterwards, all of us, me and Danny and, and uh, Ken. So anyway, uh, like listening back to this track and the whole, the whole album actually in general, it's like getting a parcel delivered that you can't remember ordering because it was like so long ago or you were really drunk when you placed the order and you, you open it and you go, Oh yeah, I love this, and uh, this is great, and uh, and each track is like that, the ones that I'm on anyway, because <laughs> I didn't know the other ones at the time. I love the sparseness of this track. Uh, call me like particularly the way the trumpet and the flute are used, um, playing lines that aren't repeated. Uh, there's a very kind of ad libby quality to a lot of the parts. And the keys are quite open as well, which is good. The keyboards, I mean. I love when you take those open lines as well, like the open lines that the flute or the trumpet have and harmonize them with the same instrument.
uh, to my ears, that's very reminiscent of Roy Hargrove's work with D'Angelo, who I know um, Danny's a big fan of as well, as well as I am also. So I'm always down for something like that. Things that I do, do remember quite well from the day, one being that I was really happy with the way it went afterwards. You know, I, I, to be honest, I wasn't that optimistic at the start when we only had two hours to do it. I thought we might run out, might run out of time. But luckily, Danny had parts written, which makes things a whole lot easier. Even though, as I remember, there was some problem with the parts and that they were maybe written in the wrong key or they were written in the right key with no accidentals or something. There was something anyway that when we started playing them, they just sounded completely wrong. I would just like to apologize at this point for my shoddy compositional uh, and transcription skills. I even studied this stuff at college um, in Maynooth, but I, I seem to have somehow messed it up entirely when planning the brass parts, as Mason also said the same thing. I had everything written up a tone by mistake. Luckily for me, these things don't become too much of an issue when you're playing with excellent musicians. Whatever the problem was, it wasn't insurmountable. And w with a little bit of work, we got through them. I remember the room we recorded in was really nice. And I think it was Ken, Ken McCabe, who was the, doing the sound engineer and producing, I think, that kind of dual role. I think it was his bedroom, but I'm not sure about that. Ken is <laughs> probably not happy to hear me say that. If it's not his bedroom, I think it was his bedroom. Uh, anyway, it had a lovely sound to it, and uh, and that makes a huge that made a huge difference for me playing in a room that had a very agreeable sound. On Ken's behalf, I can confirm that it was not a bedroom. It did have a very comfy couch that might have been mistaken for a bed, or you know maybe it was a bed. What happens in the studio stays in the studio, right? Uh, and also the vibe was really good. Now you don't normally have everyone involved with the thing just sitting beside you while you do it, you know, on a bed, <laughs> which was what, which was basically what was happening. Uh, bed's probably really good for sound soakage, I'm thinking now. Uh, maybe all studios should look into that, you know, stick them up on the walls and stuff. I left space for a bridge when we recorded the track first and only ended up writing lyrics for it later when putting down the final vocal takes uh, with Ken McCabe. Lyrically, it's a realization that despite the hope or the positivity of the chorus, this is not a good situation and it's going to end badly. Maybe the song benefited from hindsight because I was already out of that relationship at that stage. Um, but musically, it needed something different here. So I, I played a few long notes on the flute to make a sort of a, a flute bed in the background. Was it the sound of your voice or the song that you sung? Words were so sweet, but the damage was done, but I was proud. The structure of this song is slightly unusual because the final chorus is only the second time you actually hear it. So even though there are three verses and a bridge, the chorus only happens twice. So at the end, we played it a few times extra for good measure, building it up further each time. I'm also doing some ad libs over the bar lines to keep it, you know, to give it some extra emotion and also keep it moving continuity and just add in some extra personality. The first time it's straight as is, 
And then the second time there are staccato flute notes dropped in there. It's quite subtle. So you might only hear them if you're listening to the track on headphones. Then the third and fourth time around, the trumpets come in. If you wanna, you can After I heard Bill playing those lines, I had to really resist the temptation to add them into every chorus because they're so bright and majestic, but they work really well as a treat just at the end of the song, I think. It's nice to leave something special at the end as a kind of a reward for listening all the way through. Without going into too much detail, I was involved with some someone that I couldn't see regularly and sometimes the only satisfaction I could get out of the relationship were these phone calls and a lot of the time we would only talk or just talk about nothing, just listen to each other's voices yapping away. Um, the idea was maybe if I just hear this person's voice, you know, everything will be okay, I'll feel better and in the end this wasn't enough obviously. Um, and it, it also implies that the rest of the time when you're not on the phone, everything isn't okay, which, is, which isn't great either. Um, it's a naive or an innocent song, really. A wishful, you know, optimistic snapshot of a moment in my life that I've learned a lot from, but thankfully have long since moved on from. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. Next, we've got Time the Healer. This is Call Me by Danny G and the Major Sevens.
doesn't matter.